This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, September 3rd, 2020, and my guest is the awesome Matt Swider of Tech Radar. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hi, Miriam. I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a busy couple weeks with phones, but things are, uh, that's always a good thing in this pandemic period that we're in. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to slow down, Matt. I have news for you. There's there's more. I, I don't know if I'm excited by that or terrified, but uh, kind of both. I mean, it's been pretty hectic. Like, I don't see the end of it right now. And I'm not even getting all the devices you're getting. And I know you have a team. Of course, you can distribute it a little bit. Yes. It is challenging right now, for sure. Um, it's also IFA, kind of, like, I guess. It doesn't feel like it, but yes, it's, it's going on. It's like I can't really wrap my head around and get too excited about it because I'm not there. And I know that, like, I'm seeing photos from a European journalists that are attending, and I'm just like, it feels so weird, you know? It's definitely not the same, and, and there's, there's no pretzels and, and beers and in steins and so forth, which is always a lovely part of IFA. I know. We're going to talk about some announcement that we made at IFA. We are also going to skip on some things that we're talking about. There's a lot on our plate this week. I wanted to really focus on like the phony news, phone, phone-centric stuff, because there's lots of other stuff. Like TCL launched some earbuds and tablets, and no offense to them, but I'm going to skip on that this week. We just have too much on our plate. What I really want to start with, and I know you have it in your hand, and I don't have one yet, is the Galaxy Z Fold 2. And I want to ask you, like, you've had it for two or three days now. Like, I don't know if there's an embargo on reviews or what, but let me know what you can talk about. I'd love to hear your thoughts, at least your first impressions or whatever you can say. Yeah, I could talk about pretty much everything. Um, It is definitely a fix for whatever we complained about previously in Gen 1. In Gen 1, I called that the most forward-looking smartphone that you shouldn't buy. It just had so much innovation to it, and I I wanted to tell people to buy it, but there were two factors. One, very expensive, um, and then two, Samsung was going to improve upon every aspect of this phone, and they did 11 months later. So why buy Gen 1? For most people, that would be uh, a, a really just a poor purchase. So I said, yeah. this, is, this is a great phone. It's innovative, but... Just wait for Gen 2 when we have all these fixes. And now, 11 months later, we have these fixes. Um, starting off with the front screen being so much larger, uh, it you know it's only what it's like 1.3 times larger, something like that. That makes all the difference in the world because yeah. the the screen was just filled with so much bezel. It seemed like there was more bezel than screen last time. <laughs> uh, yeah. It wasn't the case, but it felt like that. Um, and so that's the biggest fix for me is having a, a very usable front display for this, what, what Samsung calls its cover display. And, uh, I, you know, it kind of, kind of makes me excited that Samsung listened to the reviews. I like to think that they're reading the reviews, um, but that they just were able to do it in 11 months time. And, uh, that was, that was really good. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Obviously, I haven't held one, but I've looked at it. I've read the specs. I've talked to a few people about it. And it really feels to me like the, this is like the Gen 1 product, whereas the, the previous one is a Gen 0, right? You know, the proto product. Yes. And and we have to go through that proto stage. A lot of people are like kind of were infuriated last year. And I'm like, folks, this is a huge step, like technologically. We can't just like expected to come out of the lab in gen one and some people are paying for that or paid for that and thankfully samsung's making it easier to upgrade i think you can you can trade in for 800 dollars or something um there's some there's some perks there but look i feel like from my you know remote impressions uh, that this is this is you know if you can't afford it and you're looking for something that's kind of like a note or an s20 ultra right you know, but you want something unique and different that really brings two modes into one. Like really now is a phone in the front, like a usable phone and inside a usable mini tablet slash large phone. That is the phone to get, right? Pretty much. Yeah. If if you want cutting it, the thing I liked about the last phone and uh, I will say it, something I like about this phone, but it, it's going to disappear eventually is when I took it out in public and people just had this mind blown reaction. They were like, wait, what is that thing? You just folded your phone in half. Like that's the yeah. most exciting thing. What is, just, is just happened. <laughs> yeah. Engaging people and then having those, this conversation starter, that is my favorite part of this device because people will come to you like, Oh, this is what this can do for my field. And, and this is what, where I see this technology going. Like that is my favorite part of, carrying around this phone and carrying around the last one um gen 3 gen 4 that is gonna you know diminish and, and eventually disappear people are gonna be like oh yeah that phone because every time i take out the new iphone whether it's the, you know the iphone 11 pro max brand new day one oh yeah new iphone i don't care like I, I it doesn't have that same excitement factor this has the same excitement factor of of the first two iphones that that came out and people are like oh wow you have the iphone i have this flip phone we're Going backward in, in, in a way, this flip phone is now the prestigious thing to carry around. But um, that's my favorite part of carrying around this phone is just engaging with people um, and seeing where things go. There are practical things like they have a, a really good split screen setup. One of the things I really like uh, in my first 48 hours of, of having this phone is you can have someone take a picture of you with the yeah. large viewfinder. And mm -hmm. on one side, they'll see the large viewfinder so they can't screw it up. And in case they do... On the cover display, there's an option to show to what mirror, is being yeah. taken a you know what what they're taking a picture of. So you can say, "Oh, you're cutting off my head," or "Can you get that uh, you know tower that I'm trying to get in this photo? Can you get that you know statue or that landmark in the photo before you get the picture back?" And you, and you don't have to say, "Oh, can you retake this?" Because that's a very common complaint of you know we're we're asking total strangers to to do that. But um, I think <laughs> photos are going to improve practically. I I think. Just all around, I'm probably the most excited person about uh, foldable phones next to uh, Mr. Mobile, uh, Michael Mr. Fisher. Mr. Mobile, yeah, Michael. The torchbearer for the <laughs> folding phone. Yeah. Um, I feel, look, I feel like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big paradigm shift. And I feel like it's still really expensive, but I feel like this year I'm going to be able to recommend this phone to people who can afford it yes. without hesitation. I, I bought I bought a Z Flip and had it for a little while. I traded it in eventually just to kind of experience things because as a second tier journalist, I don't get all the devices necessarily, right? And uh, I just felt like 
you know, this is a different form factor, but it was my first time really experiencing this, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Flexible glass or whatever display, right? Like we know it's not yeah. all glass, but it's it's definitely a hybrid. And I felt it, it felt so nice to me. Like it just felt so refined. So the hinge system, everything felt so good. And I know that the first fold was problematic at that. And this second fold is fixing all these using some of the technology from the z flip and incorporating it and it's 120 hertz display now on the main screen which is kind of amazing to me yeah for that big of a screen that's something that you need and a lot of people um are just just criticizing it for uh not having a, a quad hd display when the 120 hertz is left on most people though the average consumer can't tell the difference between quad hd and 1080p which it is by default out of the box and everybody that sees the screen even the cover display is 1080p that's that's actually the max it can go up to um they're, they're just saying oh the display is so amazing it's like you would be you know hard pressed to find some reviews that didn't complain about the fact that it's not quad hd and it really to me that's not it's an easy thing to complain about just based on well it doesn't have the highest numbers um, yeah, right. And, and I don't think it actually matters to the average consumer. In, no, in I think refresh rate is way more important. And yes. I'm glad to see that at least on the internal display, they did the variable refresh rate. I have the Note 20 Ultra and I, I think that it's the first phone I've used where I feel that this variable stuff actually works properly. Like it's in the past, I used to kind of peg my phones to a refresh rate on purpose because it was always a little janky as to when it would kick in. But I feel like they've really perfected it this time. And I've actually gone back to some phones that are recent phones, like the Vivo X50 uh, Pro that I have and changed it to um, to dynamic as well because it, it seems that they've kind of resolved some of the early issues with dynamic like the pixel head issues um, with dynamic on 4 and uh, I pegged my pixel 4 to 90 hertz so you know battery life be damned I'd rather have like it's once you I don't know it's hard to explain to people but you know if you use it for a week and then you go back to a 60 hertz you're just like oh, this feels broken or sluggish but it's not necessarily it just feels that way you know yeah. And uh, so that's good. I felt that same way. And Samsung was late to the party with 120 hertz compared to uh, other Chinese manufacturers that, that are out there that kind of uh, consistently beat them to the punch uh, on some of the technology these days. But um, they, Samsung, you know, took its time and, you know, did a really nice job with uh, 120 hertz on, on this uh, latest line of phones. For sure. And then the other thing I'm pretty excited about, honestly, is the camera system. I feel like, you know, you get five cameras total. You get three 12 megapixels, uh, two, uh, you know, uh, selfie cams that are 10 megapixels. Those are proven cameras from Samsung. Those 12 megapixel sensors are on a lot of phones, you know, in aggregate. And they're, they're well-tuned. They're well, they work well. There's OIS on the telephoto in the main lens. Um, the, I don't know uh, what... Uh, optical magnification the telephoto is i presume it's like 3x uh, it's 2x it's 2x okay yeah that's a bit odd but hey that's my one hang up yeah is i'm just coming from just like you the note 20 ultra um great phone loved the camera system and you can compare it to the pixel 4 and the iphone 11 pro uh for series. sure Yep. And you could say, okay, in this situation, the iPhone's better or the Google Pixel's better. And then Samsung wins in some other situations. Um, the, the night mode has definitely improved from past Samsung phones on the Note 20 Ultra. So 
you know, there, there's no definitive winner, uh, and and it's become sub subjective. They're all really good camera phones, um, but you're you're coming from a phone that does five times optical zoom, fifty times uh, digital zoom, and you're going to the fold, which has two times optical zoom and a ten times digital zoom, and you're paying more money, so you don't get the best of both worlds. So it's it's hard for me to say to everybody that they should get the Fold, uh, the Z Fold 2, because it's not quite the best in every area. It is more innovative, and it's 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 the, literally, it's just shiny new, new object for a lot of people. So if you want that, that's where it excels. But if you are just like such a camera nerd, uh, the Note 20 Ultra still presents oh, yeah. a, a really good, uh, you know, just appealing design and and uh, spec sheet. Uh, it... it but it's it's also cheaper. So a lot of people realistically should probably buy the Note 20 Ultra rather than the uh, the Fold 2. So there, there's appeal, but you can't get everything for $2,000. No, but it's the same with every phone. There's always strengths and weaknesses. And I feel that th what I'm trying to say, I think, is this camera system of Z Fold 2 is an absolute minimum baseline of you know what it should be, but not in, in this kind of like rushed and cut cornered way i think mm -hmm. that 3x optical would have been sweet spot um because 2x even with 12 megapixel sensor and modern computational techniques is actually pretty clean on a main sensor and especially you get that faster f-stop on the main sensor and stuff so some benefits to actually doing what some of these phones are doing now with large megapixel counts main sensors doing the initial two two to three x zoom uh digitally and then switching to an optical telephoto beyond that so you know that's something you're not going to get on the fold too but at the same time you know what i think knowing samsung and i'm sure your experiences has uh you know proven that is it's a solid camera system and I, it, there's no reason not to be so absolutely yeah. i uh compared to my iPhone, the five times optical zoom on the ultra, um, it feels like my iPhone is just cropping at the borders a little bit. So the five times zoom yeah. just makes such a difference that you're like, Oh, it's great. How did I, I, I actually, you know, was taken aback and I was like, Oh, I didn't mean to zoom into the empire state building so closely at the uh, 50 times <laughs> zoom. Like it just, it becomes uh, a bit of a, a clunky thing. Almost luckily they have a little reticle that you can, uh, you know, kind of, uh, have a little zoomed out box to kind of, uh, you know, adjust. But um, it is definitely one of the bigger perks of the Ultra compared to the Fold. But by no means is the Fold a bad camera phone. It's actually really good. It's, and you mentioned five cameras on that phone is, uh, you know, a, a pretty amazing feat. Yeah, for sure. I, I Look, I think they've done a really good job. They, they fixed a lot of the issues we had concerned with. They, uh, you know, they included this new glass, folding glass, plastic hybrid display from the Z Flip, which feels much more like glass when you handle it. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy that experience more. You know, you get that much bigger front screen, which is a 60 hertz display, but nonetheless a really high quality OLED from Samsung with all the goodness that brings to the table. And it's, you know, very... Um, you know, very tall aspect ratio. So for some people, it's going to still feel a little narrow, I think, for typing and stuff. But I think considering it's still a, not your main display, I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like they've kind of fixed a lot of the things we were, you know, cranky about last year and rightfully so on a Gen Zero product. But this year, you know, this also this industrial design, I feel like I haven't touched it, obviously, but from the videos I saw and the quality content that people have published so far, 
the the fit and finish looks so much more premium and i love this design aesthetic that samsung's pushing with you know bronze all the things and and the frosted glass and the kind of more square design um yeah for those of you listening since this is not a video show matt is totally teasing me right now with the phone on video but i love this industrial design it's so it's so well done isn't it it is and you know exactly what you're experiencing in the note 20 ultra this is what is reflected on the uh, z fold 2 so um it definitely feels like a step up i have to say looking back at the s20 ultra um i wasn't quite as impressed um it it wasn't bad by any means but once you have the note 20 ultra in hand and now the uh the fold 2 uh it it pales in comparison the uh on the s20 line um so i will say i'm mightily impressed with the design aesthetics that uh that samsung went with after six months um it's yeah it's a marked improvement Totally. I feel like the S20 series is kind of on this weird like middle ground of design between the old design and the new design language. And it, it felt a little lost. Like I was like, is this a Huawei phone? Is this a, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been like a, a Poco phone or like a, a, you know, any Xiaomi, you know, like OnePlus, Vivo, whatever. And And I'm not saying that in a bad way about all these makers, but they... You know, there's a certain style to the kind of generic Chinese phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully, a lot of them are breaking out of that, which I really appreciate. But Samsung was stuck there with the S20. And this, this new language we're seeing with the Note and the Fold 2, the Note 20, is, I think, a, gives gives Samsung their own personality. And that's that's great. Yeah. And you don't even have to get the uh, Tom Brown edition to really uh, get the, the stylish one. They're all pretty stylish. That's true. That's, three thousand two hundred dollars for that that version but it, it does come with a watch three and, and the samsung galaxy buds live yeah i mean if you have that kind of money right <laughs> yeah right that's that's the uh that's the one thing that's it's still an expensive uh setup for, for the the fold two no matter which edition you go with uh the the one thing that does concern me uh to touch on this uh, and i'm gonna experience this testing this going forward is the battery life is 4,500 milliamps, uh, which the Ultra was as well, but you do have a larger display in this device, so it will probably burn pixels a, a little more quickly. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes in, in the final testing. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not all roses, right? There's some things in there that, you know, I feel like, obviously we have wireless charging. We had that last year too, but there's still no water resistant. That's really difficult to do. I mean, obviously it's not like I can complain about something like that on such a product that actually, you know, changes shape. Um, no headphone jacks. Again, that was nothing new on Samsung phones now, but you know, these are little things that Samsung used to bring to the table on their most expensive phones that are kind of gone. And but at the same time, you know, you can fold it open. So, you know, like you get some, you lose some. Um, I feel that the spec sheet is really solid. Uh, it's interesting that they went for 256 uh, gigs of storage versus 512. Also that there's no included buds with the packaging. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, they went $20 up in price, which is nothing for this phone. I mean, if you can't afford $20, hello. Um, but I think that at the same time, you know, we're losing a bit of stuff 
Probably because, you know, those 5G chipsets are really expensive. And this is a full-on Snapdragon 865 Plus with the 5G X55 modem, meaning it supports millimeter wave and sub-6. Don't forget that. You can get that phone unlocked and put it on Verizon. And if you're one of the 10 people who live in a millimeter wave street, um, enjoy, right? Right. I, I have the T-Mobile version, and I was surprised I was indoors and had 5G. And I said, is that 5GE? What, what's happening? And I realized... Oh, wait, it's T-Mobile. Verizon, as much as I love the almost uh, two gigabits of speed when I'm underneath an antenna, I have to be underneath a 5G antenna for that to happen, the big tower. So, um, you know, it's, 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 again, it's one of those trade-off things. Uh, you can get really fast speeds, but uh, you have to be in a specific spot. Um, and I, I think that's going to be great for stadiums and places where the public gathers when the public can gather again. Uh, but it's... It's definitely more, uh, I, I'm getting use of 5G a little bit more, even though it's slower, using uh, T-Mobile's network right now. You said 5G evolution. I thought that was an AT&T thing, though. That is, that is. I didn't know which version I had, and that ah, is okay. one of the, because uh, the, we, we don't pop in our own SIM card sometimes. Sometimes we, we do. Um, and uh, so I have phones on all different networks. Yeah, uh, yeah But yeah. I'm so used to people coming to me, and I, I think this has really hurt 5G in a way, and saying, oh, I already have 5G. So it's kind of taken the air out of the room when, when people well, want AT&T, to Well, AT&T, is this yeah. very egregious that they rebranded their, you know, LTE Advanced as uh, 5G Evolution? Yes. Come on. Like, they broke it for everyone. They did. And, and you know, it's also, I hate to say it to pick at AT&T again, but their, fi their real 5G sub-6 is the worst 5G in the country right now. I mean, T-Mobile... 5G on 600 megahertz isn't fast, but it's consistently slightly faster than LTE and reaches further. Like I can get it in basements where I couldn't get LTE in the same locations. And they have changed nothing. The towers are the same. The antenna is the same. It's just that the, you know, 5G is a little more efficient at mm -hmm. penetrating and, and working. So, you know, and then there's the mid-band that T-Mobile is rolling out pretty uh, aggressively right now. They just added 80 countries, not 80 countries, 80 cities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's like one gigabit per second mid-band. Uh, I mean, best case scenario, but you're still going to get two, 300 megabits on the download on that. And that's pretty exciting. Now, of course, Verizon, I think millimeter wave has a lot of promise going forward, but you know, the footprint is kind of a joke. And <laughs> I hate to say this, right? Because Verizon's 5G is kind of a joke because of it. They desperately need some mid low band uh, sub six right now. Right. So they do. And it's gotten to the point where they have to release special editions of phones in order to have it work because sometimes they release and they're only sub six and then they need millimeter wave. So that's, uh, it's something they need to address. And I think they I will. kind of feel like I'm back in the early days of LTE, you know, where like buying an unlocked phone is kind of relevant right now in a way. Like Samsung's really the only company that has made unlocked 5G phones that work on all US carriers right now. And, you know, it's funny too, like even, like there's no reason OnePlus 8 and 8T unlocked versions should work shouldn't work on all low band networks, but somehow they only work on Timo, which is like, I was so bummed. Like I was like, for sure it'll work on AT&T, but no. And I'm like, seriously, like, wow. Like it's, how did you fail at that so hard? Like if Samsung can do it, why can't others? Like same thing with the, um, what is it? The, the Moto Edge, right? Mm -hmm. The Moto Edge non plus. And you know, it only works, I think on, on AT&T or something in 5G. And it's like, 
where's Timo in this? Like, yeah. Come on. Like, I understood if it was like a Chinese phone that right. support, like, happened to support a 5G ban in the US, but like, come on, you're selling this at Best Buy. It feels like very early days for uh, this kind of uh, interoperability to happen. Um, and we'll take it for granted in the future and everything will work. And we'll be like, hey, remember the days that this happened and you know, Michael Fish will make a video about it or something like it'll be something that's so past tense for us. Um, yeah. But we're living in that age where we have to decide between, you know, we did that with Blu-ray and HD DVD. It's 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 one of these things that eventually things will come together and things will work out. But uh, right now, consumers have to be aware of it when they go to buy a phone or else they'll, they'll get stuck with a, uh, a phone that doesn't work with 5G and, and, and their network. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, ultimately, the benefits don't really exist so much for cus for consumers yet. I get that. But I still feel like you can, to some extent, future-proof yourself by buying a phone that at least supports a low-band 5G on multiple carriers, if possible, like Samsung's doing. Because that way, you're, you're set for another couple of... that couple In that couple of years, you're going to own that phone. You will eventually get 5G signal on that phone that actually benefits you and so the question is do you spend the extra money on or not on that and we're about to talk about a whole bunch of phones that are coming out that are actually really affordable 5g phones so i think it's changing rapidly but um you know kudos to samsung for making these really expensive phones at least work on every network as best they can um because you know i wouldn't have taken it for granted with our heavily carrier influence market in the u.s right yeah absolutely it's it it's coming together at least with one company and then they all usually follow suit anyway. So cool. So any final things since you've actually used the phone and I haven't that you think could be better or you kind of surprise you by being really good. I mean, beyond what we've talked about, maybe some software things. Uh, the software is good. Um, I don't think some people think it'll replace their laptop. And I think it can in certain situations, like I can actually go into a spreadsheet and add and tweak stuff um, and view spreadsheets like I, you, know, you couldn't do. It's the holy grail of, of doing spreadsheets on a phone, um, but you can't create one whole cloth. Um, so don't expect it to completely change your life. I went through that with uh, Google Glass. I thought I'm going to be riding roller coasters and jumping out of airplanes with Google Glass because that's what they showed <laughs> on the demo. And like you get that in your mind. You're like, oh, this is going to change my life. Same thing with this. It It's not going to completely change your life, but it'll make certain things better. And it'll be an interesting conversation starter, just like Google Glass was. Like it's, it's that kind of product that will change some things, but it won't quite live up to the expectations if you Really have it really hyped up in your mind. Uh, one thing I will say that people are surprised at when I've showed them over the last 48 hours is that it's lighter than they always expect because it feels like ah. it looks like two phones, uh, you know, glued together um, with a hinge. Uh, but it's 282 grams. The Ultra is just over 200 grams. So it's actually lighter than uh, it's portrayed in a lot of the videos that you see. Um, so that's kind of a good thing. Well, that's also important because 200 starts to get pretty heavy, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, I have a Poco F2 Pro I'm reviewing right now. And I mean, I've had it for a few weeks, like probably a couple of months now. And at, and at first it didn't really occur to me. When I started comparing it, like for my review with other phones I have around, and I realized it's almost the same size and weight as the Galaxy S20 Ultra. Yep. And I was like, wait, 
and then I actually like like kind of held it in my hand and kind of like intense measured its weight by you know the very scientific method of kind of like holding it in your hand and I was like yeah it is kind of heavy I didn't notice but now that I'm actually paying attention to it you know and you're thinking this is like just like a $500 5G phone right uh, with a Snapdragon 865 which is what makes it so unique but it's it's not nothing particularly special just it's still so much packed to the gills with stuff that it's like 219 grams and like, you know, the same, I think three millimeters shorter in height than an S20 Ultra and every other dimension the same. It kind of blows my mind, you know, how big phones have gotten. So keeping it light on something that complex, I think is pretty amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm excited to kind of put this through its final paces and do a, a full review of it. Well, for sure. We'll uh, we'll look forward to it ourselves. There's going to be a lot of good reviews out there. Um, so let's switch gears to some phones that kind of surprised me. Some of them were actually announced when I was recording my show last week because I recorded on Wednesday last week with JC Bagnell. Uh, and it started with Timo followed by Moto. And it's actually the same, kind of the same phone. So that's why I'm lumping them together a little bit. But Timo went out with the Revel 5G. Revel is Timo's in-house brand of in-house phones. And they're usually Motos. So that's the thing a lot of people don't know is that they're essentially rebranded and slightly cosmetically altered. Um, you have to give them credit for not just rebranding like straight up, but actually changing the design a little bit. Moto phones, uh, usually the G series. And so when this Revel 5G came out and I looked at the specs and at the time, the Moto 1 5G wasn't official yet, but now it is. I was like, oh my God, it's the same, almost the same phone. So let's talk about the Moto 1 5G and then we can kind of um, give some perspective on the Revel and what it cuts out. The Revel 5G is a $400 phone, which is kind of incredible. $400 Snapdragon 765 smartphone on T-Mobile. So how is it different from the Moto you know, the Moto 1 5G, that's the question. So it turns out that it's really about a few little things. And interestingly, Moto hasn't announced the pricing for the 1 5G yet. It's coming to Verizon and to AT&T. And as you know, as Sasha Sigan always says, I expect the Verizon one, because it'll be millimeter wave, to have the, what I call millimeter wave tax of an extra 100 or an extra $50, right? So... What's your take on these affordable 5G phones? Yeah, so they said it was going to be under $500 uh, for this Motorola phone. Um, and we've seen a, you know, a version of it in the, in the UK already. Um, but I, I find it really not surprising because history repeats itself, but um, surprising based on the timing that it was only a year and a half ago that we just had that Motorola 5G add-on for a phone. So we've come oh, a yeah. really long way. And it was expensive uh, for being an add-on because you had to buy the phone if you didn't have it already and then buy the add-on. Um, and it was bulky. And so in a year and a half, we're down to a phone like the T-Mobile Revel that you mentioned, the, the 5G version of that, um, that is $400. And it claims the tag yeah. of the most affordable 5G phone. Like that... In, in, in a year and a half, it's just <laughs> mind blowing. So that's um, I'm excited by that because it puts real 5G in more people's hands. And there's always been a trickle down, uh, you know, feature set. Like, you know, uh, phones a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, were starting to get the uh, the fingerprint sensor. Um, that was like three four years ago, and uh, that 
excited to me because now, you know, like that was coming to budget phones four years ago. Um, yeah. And so I, w- I was, you know, if you can wait out a year or two on some of these flagship only features, you will have it in at least mid-range phones. And that's what's happening with 5G. And it happened a little more quickly than I expected. I expected that to be maybe next year, but we're we're seeing it this quarter, uh, which is really nice to to see that for just a larger group of people than than your your average uh, phone nerd. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because when the Snapdragon 765 and 755G were announced last year, alongside the 865. I immediately knew in my head that there would be some 500-ish 5G phones coming soon, but I didn't expect it to take this long, at least for the US market. Like China and other parts of the world, like India, have had some 500-ish, like $400 to $600 5G phones for with those chips for a few months now. And, uh, you know, we're finally starting to see a big glut coming into the US. Like, so... In July, we had the Moto Edge non-plus. We had the, uh, uh, that's 700, so it's a little on the high side. Uh, actually, it came out at 400 initially. I think they should have kept that price around uh, if they could. Uh, but even 500 would be okay for that phone. 700 is a little much. There's the LG Velvet. We're going we're gonna to talk about it a little more in a second, but the LG Velvet on AT&T is 600. And then, so it's still a little high. So then now we have this Moto 1 5G. And just to go over it really quickly, this doesn't have a 765G, has a regular 765, only four gigs of RAM, which I think is a little problematic, Uh, but it does have a quad camera system. And one of them is a macro. And unlike the other tacked on macro cameras, this is a proper five megapixel autofocus macro. So um, it'll actually be useful whether you actually use it or not is a whole different ball game but it does even have an led ring around the macro lens specifically for the macro because if you've ever used a macro lens you know you have to get really close to your subject and usually you cast a shadow on it if you're in the sunlight or something and it looks kind of janky so they did that it's also a 90 hertz display for five for less than 500 so that's kind of cool so it hits a lot of the boxes i think that people want except you know it's not available unlocked in the US, which is kind of surprising. And uh, again, it's not available on T-Mobile because T-Mobile has this Revel 5G. And the Revel 5G, I haven't managed to nail this down, Matt, but I think it's lacking the 90 hertz display. I think it's a 60 hertz version of the same display and it doesn't have the macro light around the macro lens. So it has the same camera setup, the same cosmetic setup, but it's not it's kind of been decontented a little bit to reach that $400 price point. So what I actually expect is when they announce the pricing for the Moto 1 5G on AT&T, I expect it to be probably like 450 or even 479, like close to 500, but still obviously meeting the promise of less than 500. And no matter what, it's still super exciting to me, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And for a lot of consumers who are looking to save on their phone, like $75 to give up uh, 120 hertz, they may not miss that. So having a phone that's, you know, advertised at $399.99, that may be the, uh, you know, the deal that they want to make um, for a brand yeah. new phone. And I mean, again, you know, this is not unusual that Timor launches their Revel phones in the summer and their Moto, essentially Moto rebranded. So 
you know, they probably decide, hey, can we cut a, a couple of corners to get the price a little lower? And I think I'm really excited to see T-Mobile being so aggressive on its 5G pricing, both by not charging extra for 5G on their plans, one, and by actually making phones available on their network that are decent phones. I'm sure this phone is going to be half decent based on other Moto 1 and G phones I've used for $400. So, I mean, it's really rare that I would recommend you go to a carrier and buy a phone locked. But if you're going to, if you really want 5G, and you're in a 5G area for Timo and you don't want to ruin yourself and get a decent phone, you know, this might be your ticket. Um, of course, otherwise I'd recommend the OnePlus Nord if we were outside the the uh, the US. I reviewed that for hot hardware and I think this is one of the best sub, you know, roughly sub 500-ish phones out there. But again, it's it's like it's not available here so you pretty much can't use it like it doesn't work on 5g i tested it it just doesn't doesn't ping 5g networks actually that brings up something else that's interesting i don't know if you noticed this i talked about this with sasha but if you've ever if you've played with any of these phones that are not native u.s market phones that have snapdragon chips that are 5g chips the lot of them will actually show a 5g logo on the on the bars but if you actually look at how they're connected, they're connected by LTE. So they, they, what they're saying is they're seeing 5G compatible towers on the network, but they're not able to connect because they don't have the right bands on their 5G radio. So just because you import a phone, folks, and you put your SIM in there and you see a 5G logo does not mean you're enjoying 5G. It took me a while to figure that out. And Sasha actually wrote a whole article on PC Mag about it. So... I would normally recommend you import phones, but right now, if you really want 5G, like don't don't make the 5G decision the one thing that, oh, this phone has 5G, I'm going to import it. Because if you're doing it for that reason, bad reason. If you're doing it because, you know, the Nord is a great phone to start with or because the X50 Pro from Vivo has a gimbal and it's really cool or because whatever else the reason might be, then yes. But if, if it says 5G and it's a Chinese or like Indian or European market phone, uh, you probably are just going to get it to ping the 5G logo but not connect via 5G. So hence the importance of these um, actual US market phones, except I really can't believe Moto's not selling this thing unlocked. Like what is up with that? I know that's that's for someone else to scoop up that market, and uh, hopefully someone does. And they, it, the importing of phones is usually good advice. Like, and, but like you mentioned, it may be more hassle than it's worth if uh, you know it doesn't support the bands that that you require with your carrier. So um, there's definitely going to be something coming out in the future that probably impresses you a little bit more if you just give it a little bit more time. So that's, yeah. that's usually natively, uh, it'll work. Just hold on, folks. Yeah, I think, you know, hang tight. I think in a year when we have this conversation, there'll be a lot of phones you can buy that are universal 5G in most countries, and you will be able to import again and things will work better. There'll be more chipsets. We're about to talk about a bunch of new chips that were released that are 5G chips. And, you know, I think that right now, potentially the reason the Moto 1 5G is not available unlocked is because... You know, they have the Moto Edge non-plus as an unlocked phone and they want to get their $700 for it, which I think is ridiculous. It's too much for that. I think they should drop it down to six and, and then they still wouldn't interference with in, with this new one 5G, but they would still have an unlocked decent phone for the US cons, you know, customers. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Um, 
But speaking of chips and IFA and announcements, MediaTek made some announcements last night. I'm not sure if they're necessarily IFA related directly, but there's two new chips from MediaTek. One is not really that interesting to me. It's the T750. It is a chip optimized for hotspots and routers. So basically it combines a 5G radio low band um, like mid mid band and low band, I should say, six, sub six with a Wi-Fi six chipset that's mesh compatible. So they can make home routers with that that are five G uh, home routers, and then the the mesh nodes would just be Wi-Fi mesh nodes with a different chipset from from them. And then they can also make hotspots like the portable battery powered that we're all used to with this chip. And it's an affordable chip and it's going to open up some opportunities for manufacturers to come out with some hotspots that are 5G that are affordable. But what I'm more excited about is that they announced another variant of the Dimensity 1000 chipset called the Dimensity 1000C. And that's a kind of a, supposedly they cut a few corners in there, but they also added a few features to it. And at first I was like, whatever, cool. Ping me when there's a phone available. And then they said, oh, well, the LG Velvet for T-Mobile, and pause for a second here. What is the LG Velvet running as a chip right now, Matt, on other networks? Uh, I believe it is uh, Qualcomm. Correct. So it's a 765G on from Qualcomm. Mm-hmm. And we've rarely seen this, especially in the US. It happens abroad a lot. But the same phone is now out for T-Mobile, finally, because they announced it would be coming. but you know, it'd been kind of dragging on with this new Dimensity 1000 C chip from MediaTek. So because of that, it is an entire $18 cheaper. <laughs> I'm not sure if that really matters. I actually was expecting it to, for them to hit, hit that $500 sweet spot with the Velvet, uh, but it's 588 and it is got the Dimensity 1000 C. And for those of you asking me, like, do you think it's going to make a difference in performance? I don't think so. I mean... Like, those chips are pretty much on the same playing field in terms of performance. So, it's interesting though, right? Wouldn't you, do, you remember, do you remember any phones that we've had recently in the US that has a MediaTek, one carrier has a MediaTek version of the same phone? No, that, this is a, a surprising development in, in terms of, uh, especially, you know, the you're getting 5G with this, uh, which is significant that it's, no longer feels uh, Qualcomm controlled in the U.S. because um, that's right. that's what you're seeing from uh, the seems like crop. almost a coup to me. Right. Like, I don't know if Qualcomm knew about it through LG or, or T-Mobile partnerships right. they have, but if they didn't, they probably woke up to do a scratching their heads. Like right. LG went through all the trouble of developing a separate version for T-Mobile to save eighteen dollars. Yeah, like wow, it is weird. Like I was expecting it would save more. But yeah, that is interesting. Um, the thing, two things I want to pay attention to with this chipset, um, they kind of tout the power saving features, which is going to be key for 5G. And we'll see how good that is compared to Qualcomm's chip. And also the ability to either do dual display, which is not a feature of this phone, or fast 120 hertz. So we'll see that. But in the it future. does have a dual screen case. So it does need that dual display support for it. It does. Yeah. So if that is, you know, something that, that users, you know, option out and that that is something that um, some carriers, at least, do include as as like a freebie. Uh, we'll see if that uh, you know is something that they gravitate toward. But uh, you know, I don't know if this chipset will will continue to be used for phones that have um, 120 hertz screens. But uh, it has that capability, 
and that's kind of interesting. So uh, they're they're definitely barking up Qualcomm's tree with this uh, this you know chipset. So um, it's it's good to have a little bit of competition uh, in this market. So uh, you know that five G isn't dominated by just one company. Yeah, and you know the other thing to keep in mind, folks, is generally when MediaTek announces a new chip. You know, we either never get it in the U.S. on any device, or we have to. You get it on device that we import that are compatible with U.S. That happens, or you, and it's usually like three months or six months before they even start appearing these devices. So, I think it's a bit of a coup that here we have a phone that came out at the same time as a chip was announced in the U.S. with 5G, and it's the same model as a phone that already exists with a Snapdragon chip. So it's like, wow. Very, very interesting. But you know what? What else it speaks to for me, Matt? It speaks to how much LG is willing to bend over backwards for the carriers, which I really hate because I, I feel that's one of their weak points, right? Like the the reason they're not doing so well, I think, in the US is because their customer is not you and me and my listeners. Their customers are the carriers. And I really think that as Apple and Tesla and other companies that are super focused on detail and the customer's experience first, that if you want to please the end user, you really need to be there for them. And I think they're not doing that. And they've continued to not do that for years now. And I think to the point where they've put themselves in a corner because now the only way they're relevant in the US is through carriers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the carriers dictate a lot more than people realize. Um, fun fact I found out, that is why uh, most phones uh, have an option that comes in black because carriers say, well, we want that version because we think it sells better. And they dictate how your phone looks more than you realize. Um, so as much as... We like these kind of cool colors. Um, it is all bent on a pleasing a carrier who says, well, we think this will sell well. And they, they may have market research to you know, back that up. But um, sometimes the, uh, the carriers have the last say, the first say and the last say uh, in, in how phones are designed. And that's, it's kind of a shame. But like LG, I noticed at their press conferences, um, don't have all the time the, uh, the price of the device. Um, or, or it comes right at the press conference and we're kind of uninformed as, as a pack of journalists because they um, are leaving it up to the carriers to decide the price, um, which takes just the surprise out of the room. If you have to talk about a phone and have a hands-on review up but not have the price and don't know where it sits, whether it's $1,000, $800, $600, like you can't you can kind of guess, but... Uh, if they're leaving it up to AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile, um, it it kind of doesn't have that big launch event vibe that you get with someone like Apple or Samsung who has the, sp- the price right on a slide in, in the back of the presenter. Um, so that is something I, I find that carriers kind of uh, take advantage of LG with, despite them being a fairly innovative company. And I feel the same is happening with Moto because, again, we still have no pricing on the Moto 1 5G yeah. on Verizon or AT&T, yet we know the you know rebranded version's pricing on T-Mobile. And so it's like, come on, guys. Like, you know, now you kind of painted yourself in a corner because we expect it to be less than 500, but we also know it's going to be more than four because T-Mobile set the, the bar there and we know that it's decontented on T-Mobile. So obviously, like, it's like we can guess and what does what is the benefit 
benefit because it's adding confusion to the consumers. For those people right now, you know, wringing their hands going, oh my God, I can't wait to get my 5G phone on whatever my favorite carrier is because I've been waiting for this technology, but I have a budget of $500. Like they're kind of like uh, rolling their eyes just as much as we are. And it's, it's, it's just not a very smart thing to do, in my opinion. No, exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, the surprise announcement of, oh, this phone can do all this stuff and it only costs under $500 or this phone could do all this stuff. We'll get to the price later and uh, we'll tell you in about three weeks. And it's like, that's not very exciting. When they do announce it in three weeks, uh, you kind of forgotten about it already. So go with a big announcement with all the information all at once. And then you'll, your message will, will have a lot more impact. But uh, sadly, uh, yeah, LG and Moto are kind of trapped in that, that little minefield. And I feel like it's a chicken and egg catch-22, right? The more they're in that field, the more they're going to stay in that field, the more they're going to become carrier-exclusive uh, manufacturers. And I just like, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for the industry, especially when you have like the Oppos and Vivos and OnePluses and Xiaomis and Redmis of the world out there, you know, really pushing the envelope all the time. And then Samsung dominating at the higher end with, with iPhone and Apple, you know, just making superb devices that are, outrageously priced i mean i think they're worth it but like you know you you're getting a premium and it's like you can't even make a premium phone as as an lg or a moto right now because you're you're running into the samsung juggernaut forget even apple at this point it's like i just don't think it's healthy and so you know i feel like moto and lg owe themselves to make a really kick-ass flagship that is nothing held back make it twelve hundred dollars unlocked and on carriers and just go nuts and show us what you can do, which <laughs> brings us to the LG wing, right? So September 14th is supposed to be in some sort of announcement around this rotating T-shaped dual screen, whatever. It looks totally, this is why LG matters, guys. Yep. Like you you keep saying LG is dead. And I'm like, no, this is what, this is the LG. I remember the LG who brought us quad HD on our displays, who brought us the ultra wide camera, who brought us the 18 by 9 display the reason we all have tall wide aspect ratio displays and no bezels is because of lg with the g6 so this is a cool what what is your take on this thing it's nuts it's it yes it only lives in a, a teaser but uh i am fascinated by the fact that lg is going back and trying something brand new they they did flexible curve displays uh they've done uh you know phones made out of leather um and they they've done phones where you can pull all the components out and kind of do uh, modular upgrades, which we all thought was the next big thing, and it turned out it was not. Uh, but I'm glad that LG is getting back to trying something that's kind of uh, off the wall. And um, yeah, the it it can be radical, and 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 sometimes I do feel like the the picture that they had was someone using controls for a, a media player, and it had some of the controls on the the winged side of of this uh, smartphone prototype. Um, I I think that could be useful. I just don't know how practical it is, and that's a lot of the LG stuff. I also fear that um, Samsung usually, if it's a really good idea, does it and does it maybe a little bit better, uh, but we'll see if LG can get there first. Um, but I'm kind of excited for LG at least to attempt to do something new because as you said they're they were a leader in a, a lot of different things including the ultra wide camera that everybody loves right now i mean we all love it yeah it they're they're the market 
at least starter, if not the leader of of such technology. So maybe in two, three years, that that winged approach will be uh, the next big thing. But um, at least they're they're still trying. They're still out there, and uh, we'll see it September fourteenth. But I'm I'm excited for to talk about at least something new and see where phones go because in like the last four years before foldable phones, we it kind of felt a little stagnant and yeah. um, the innovation is definitely picking back up again and, and we need a company like LG to kind of uh, try new things and see what sticks and what doesn't, um, even if eventually someone else takes that and runs with it and makes it better. Yeah, I mean, I think like the reality is clearly we have reached kind of like a plateau in terms of if you have a smartphone that's two years old, that's a flagship, it's perfectly fine today still. And and I, I mean, granted, assuming you still have big software updates for it, right? Which for Samsung and others is still mostly true. And and so, you know, on one hand, you have that. Yeah, so we've reached that kind of stage where we eventually laptops reach that stage too, where, you know, it didn't matter what you bought, you were going to get a good experience. But at the same time, we're also at a time when $500 phones no longer suck. Two $300, $350, like the Pixel 4a phones don't suck. And also, we're coming out with these new form factor, which hasn't really happened since the knots. Like, when the iPhone came out, it introduced the form factor that became the de facto glass and metal slab that we have now. And, and honestly, it works, so I can't get mad about it. But at the same time, it, as you said, it made things pretty stale. And so these folding phones, these rotating phones, these dual display like the Microsoft Duo, these are all things that we need to experiment with to figure out where we go next with a smartphone. I mean, there's just not a single answer for everything. So I'm super excited about it. If if this comes to the US, which I don't even know, it would be priced around $1,300, $1,400, and it would probably, I'm guessing, be an AT&T phone, because AT&T, for as much trouble as I give them on a regular basis for stuff, they are still the ones who pick up the weird phones. Remember the ZT Axon M dual screen phone? I do. Speaking of, you know, velvets with dual screen cases and, and Microsoft Duo, like, hello, they did it a long time ago. And they wanted it, I've heard, because they owned DirecTV and they wanted uh, people to have a way to use their phone and watch DirecTV at the same time. Uh, kind of uh, interesting reasoning, but. Um, yeah, you know, like they're willing to take a chance on the phone. And that's why I'm still a customer of AT&T because uh, they support the iPhone in years past when Verizon didn't, uh, the first uh, two years or three years, something like that. And um, and they worked with a lot of uh, uh, the Chinese manufacturers, whether or not they, they knew it, they, you know, just by uh, just the way of uh, compatibility, they they worked with them. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm excited about this. this. This looks cool. And speaking of cool, you know, not as obviously cool, but, you know, again, progress is happening all the time in the smart world world. We've known for a while now from the BBK group, Oppo, Vivo, OnePlus, and from the, um, the Xiaomi group that they've been working, that various companies have been working on in-display front camera so instead of a hole punch or a notch in your front of your screen for the selfie camera the selfie camera being under the screen the screen going black in that spot when you take a selfie and then turning back into a screen afterwards and we now have officially we talked about this on the show last week it was a rumor at the time but it's now official that zte in china has launched the axon 25g which is the first phone officially sold in the world with an under display camera uh, 
and it's kind of cool. And I mean, it's Chinese phone right now only, so the prices are insane. Like you're getting a 5G phone for $350 if you translate the pricing. Remember that in China, a lot of phones are subsidized through services and stuff. Uh, 90 hertz display, it's a big phone with a 6.9 inch display. Um, let's see what kind of specs we're looking at here. Snapdragon 765G, which has become the pickup truck of processors. It like does everything. Um, and, uh, you know, again, as I said, $350 for the 6 gig, 128 gig version, probably like five, $400 for the 8 gig, 128, and then there's an 8 gig to 56. Add a hundred bucks roughly to kind of get a price for Europe and, and India, and then maybe 150 for a US version if it ever comes here. Um, I asked for a review in it, and the lovely PR folks at, at ZTE said, you know, we don't think we're going to get any of these. So I think until it comes to the US officially, um, Ashley, who's wonderful, said, you know, hold your horses. I don't have any. So I, as soon as I can get my hands on one, folks, I'll let you know, because I definitely want to try this one out, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting in that we don't know. We know the market is headed in this direction uh, to, you know, have a perfect uniform screen without a front-facing camera. Um, but at the same time, it's the battle of, well, what happens to your selfie photos? Um, how can they look just as good as they do currently without backing off of of the technology um and i feel like even some companies have backed off of the selfie camera front-facing camera technology um because we we had instances where i still go back to the uh lg v series the v10 uh when that had the ultra wide camera inside on the front and right i love that that was probably one of my favorite phones to review because with a selfie, a lot of people say, oh, that's just very vain to take a lot of selfies. But you're telling a story of where you are and what you're in front of at that moment. So if you do a road trip, if you do any kind of vacation photos, that's how you tell the story. And even at five megapixels, those photos looked great because I think it was a 124 uh, degrees yeah, field really of view. Wide. It was really It was almost too wide in some cases, but the, the photos I have are amazing. I, I got to do a... Uh, a, a car review at that time and it was uh through florida going through uh louisiana and i took some just some shots because i was reviewing the the v10 at that time uh and i'm afraid that companies are backing off of that uh, samsung kind of has a, a smaller punch hole display um in their cameras they don't have uh you know a dual camera anymore in the front uh so i think companies are, are backing off of that to um have the display be a little more uniform which is great but i also don't want this to um you know kind of this under display camera idea to kind of hurt the the photos take that, we that take. away yeah and, and yeah it's it's one thing i'm seeing already but maybe the the foldable phones with the camera on the, the using the rear camera as your your selfie camera maybe that's the future of everything um so that will kind of save everything but um Manufacturers are definitely keen on making that display uniform because we saw with the, the pop-up selfie cameras that were kind of a, a thing for a little while, for about, I feel like, six months, and then uh, that kind of faded a little bit. But um, <laughs> they're definitely eager to get rid of any notch, um, which is just a 
terrible thing in everybody's mind but Apple's. Um, but even I think Apple secretly wants to get rid of it. Um, so we'll see where where it goes. But it's interesting technology. But it's a battle of two different things that they need. Um, and we'll we'll see how clear this under display camera uh, technology is. Yeah, I think um, initially I think we can expect some. Uh, performance issues in terms of quality um i remember um you know richard light and gadget played with one of the prototypes from i think xiaomi or oppo or vivo and um you know the the biggest issue is that you have to have a very light sensitive sensor and a very fast lens to compensate for the fact that you essentially are putting an nd filter in front of the lens right like you basically have translucent but they're not perfectly trans you know they're not transmitting light perfectly pixels in the way so when they're not triggered because this only works with oled when they're not triggered they're transparent ish but you're losing a lot of light and so you have to compensate with a fast f-stop and and a fat and a, and, a, and a sensor and also the color science is very different because you're putting essentially a gray filter in front of the photo. So now you need to compensate for how your RGB colors are adjusted. And so I think it's going to take a year or two of fine tuning until somebody nails it and then it'll become commonplace. In the same way as now we have oval shaped or dual um, hole punch uh, sensors, we might see some ultra wides as well. So don't despair. I think it's going to happen. Speaking of ultra wides in the front, that Moto one 5g we discussed has that and that's one of the features that the um, timo version loses so it has dual front with one being an ultra wide and you know the oneplus nord has an ultra wide in the front there's a bunch of oppo phones uh uh of course uh huawei phones so i think it's happening it's still there samsung had it for a while in the s10 and note 10 series but got rid of it not note 10 s10 i, I think it's coming back just let's keep harassing them about it in our reviews right where's my front ultra like make it basically normalize it if we normalize it as journalists matt they're just going to eventually put it in there yeah as long as we're not going after the easy stuff and uh like that is something i legitimately want there are some things that people harass them on like camera bump and i'm like no i want a big camera bump i know that's just just an odd thing to want but um otherwise they will have cameras that are flat but not as good as they could be and if you're going to put a case exactly. on most of these things it might you might as well have a big camera bump that is capable of soaking in so much light and having uh, a telephoto zoom that is pretty unbelievable like i i want the design team to kind of lose out a little bit and have the camera team uh at at, at these different companies to kind of have a run of the land and um that's that's something i i hope happens the one thing i will say about zte is um i'm kind of excited that they're coming out with something that's innovative and and you know they're launching something before anybody else um you know out of prototype form they're actually selling it to people um the zte axon 7 was one of my favorite phones oh it's so good it, yeah it was it was a great phone it was a you know and they they got caught up in a lot of uh ban issues in the u.s so therefore yeah. they were kind of dead in the water for uh seven years but you know that that got overturned uh in a couple months but um they i, I kind of want to see them get back to that all-time high of the axon 7 and uh you know the axon 20 could be something of a precursor to what we'll see down the line of them kind of coming up with innovative features as long as they can one day launch in the u.s with a uh, full android whereas huawei uh is kind of crippled at the moment with that that kind of that issue for sure 
A couple of final things. I only have one listed here, but um, Qualcomm last week announced the Snapdragon 732G, which is an improved version of the 730G, which if you are paying attention, and my listeners, I know you are because you are technically savvy folk, uh, is the same chip as we see in the Pixel 4a, for example, right? So this is a slightly improved one, and there's a, you know rumors that this is going to debut on a new Poco phone. Uh, this time could be, you know, if you don't remember the saga, um, I can fill you in a little since I'm writing the Poco F2 re- Pro review right now. The Poco F1 was a one-off phone from Xiaomi. Um, you know, it, it had some commonality with other Redmi or Xiaomi phones, but very little. And it was basically a $300 flagship for the Snapdragon 845. And so we didn't get anything from Poco last year. We, we kind of got it in a way because the Redmi K20 Pro was that phone, but it wasn't, or it wasn't a Poco. So this year they, they decided to like launch Poco as a separate brand as part of Xiaomi, like Redmi. So, and what they did so far is they made three phones, the Poco M2, Poco F2 Pro, um, and Poco X2. And those three phones are essentially rebranded Redmi phones, completely re- Like they've not changed none of the cosmetics, it's just the brand is different. Pricing is the same. So it didn't feel like, I don't know, it felt kind of like, okay, you're just playing the branding game here, Xiaomi. But apparently this Poco that's rumored to be coming, the, uh, we don't know the name or whatever, is, it, not only is it rumored to have this new chip, uh, but it's supposed to be the first kind of bespoke made, you know, not rebranding another form from Xiaomi phone. So stay tuned for that. It'll be interesting to see how that plans out. Clearly with that chip, it's going to be a 4G phone. But, the, uh, you know, I reviewed the Pixel 4a for hot hardware and we do benchmarks on hot hardware because we're a bunch of, you know, nerds there. And um, I'm not a huge benchmark person, but being part of that team right now, uh, regularly doing freelance work for them, I'm learning a little more about the, running these benchmarks and comparing. And honestly, the 730G to me felt just as fast day to day as the 765G, the 5G phone uh, uh, chip. And, and so... It's kind of impressive that you can get that chip or a 765 or an 865, which is the flagship chip, and not really feel a huge difference day to day. You'll notice when you play intense games, right, like graphic demanding games, but in every day you'll be fine. And of course, the difference between no 4G, no 5G or, or 5G, right? But it's kind of amazing that as, back to what we were talking about earlier, Matt, where I feel like phones have gotten so good even at you know, $350, $400 price point now. Because it's not that they're just good with specs. They're actually good to use. Like they're fast and they're comfortable and they're competent. They do everything right. And so it's good to see that. But another news that came out kind of the part of uh, the IFA announcements for Qualcomm is that in addition to this chip, which is a 4G chip, there's rumors of them launching a 400 series 5G chip. It's not rumors. They've actually said that they're doing it. They didn't announce the model number of the chip. But So what it means now is that we have the 865, which needs a separate modem, which is for the super high end. We have the 765G, which is like the pickup truck of 5G chips. Everybody's using it. It, it can be used for anything. Then we have the 765, which is the non-graphics optimized version, so it's not as fast for games. You have the 768G, and we now have the 690, which is a 600 series 5G chip, and some sort of 400 series chip coming. So Qualcomm is really, really pushing 5G across the board, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, it. there are so many different chipsets out there that's 
almost enough chipsets to cover all the Motorola phones that there are, which there are a <laughs> lot of Motorola phones, if you don't For know. sure. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's good. It, it's, I think 2021 is going to be the year of uh, ubiquitous 5G. Um, the network may or may not be there in your area. Hopefully it is by that time. But um, the smartphones, like, you'll... We'll be ha- ready. Yeah, you'll have trouble finding a smartphone that doesn't have 5G in it. And that I find to be uh, exciting because, you know, the quicker people get something done, the, you know, faster they'll get back to real life, you know, living in, in the real world away from their screens. So um, hopefully that that becomes a thing. Or maybe they'll just continue to watch Netflix on, on their phones in the, on the subway. Who, who knows? But anything is is better than having it taking a long time watching uh, a status bar load when you're downloading something. Absolutely. And really, right, what this really means is that, you know, with the 690 that was announced and this 400 series 5G chip from Qualcomm, what it really means is that now we have five, four, $500 5G chips. Next year, we're going to have $250, $200 like Moto G series 5G phones. And it's we're not even a blink an eye. It'll be totally normal. And finally, we'll be able to drop the stupid 5G moniker at the end of phones, hopefully. Yes. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. When the Moto E gets 5G, then everybody has 5G like that. that That's is... right. No more, no more excuses. No more 5G branding on the phone. Yes, right? please. Yeah. All right, Matt, we should wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you, like Twitter handles, all that stuff, blogs, things? Sure. It's pretty much the same across all the uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and so forth. Uh, it's Matt, M-A-T-T, Swider, S-W-I-D-E-R, uh, like spider, but with a, a W instead of a P. Uh, so you'll find me on all those social networks and also on techradar.com. Uh, anybody who emails me gets free tech advice. So that's always a thing as, as much as I can answer emails. Um, that is, that's something I, I like to do. Yeah. You should follow Matt on all the social channels. And of course, read tech radar, watch tech radar, YouTube channel, all that good stuff. There's a podcast now too. So check that out. Um, you know where to find me folks on the internet. I'm at tankerl. That's T N K G R L on Instagram and on Twitter. Twitter is a good place. If you want to talk to me about uh, the podcast, like comment or whatever, since there's no easy way to comment on podcasts, uh, through the podcasting app. So just ping me on Twitter. I'll be happy to discuss whatever you disagree with or agree with or want clarification on. Uh, Instagram is where you'll find pretty photos of phones and taking it with phones because I've been reviewing a lot of phones for hot hardware and other publications. And then, of course, you know, there's a YouTube channel that goes with this podcast, uh, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast with like unboxing videos, hands on some reviews. I just reviewed the Galaxy Buds Live. So check that out. And then, um, of course, either podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you came here following Matt, kudos to you. And please subscribe because it would really help. We're on uh, the, the website. There's links to subscribe, but also all the apps. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. Look for Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl. And uh, yeah, uh, if you can, if your app lets you, please rate the show. Please um, review the show if possible. It really helps to let people know what you liked or didn't like about the show hopefully it's positive and uh there is a donate link in the show notes i would really appreciate if you consider donating you know this is a bit of a labor of love for me i'd like to continue doing it weekly so please donate it's a paypal link it's pretty straightforward just follow through consider that and finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com has been with the show since the very early days. They're a fantastic 
platform for books. So if you like reading books, but for whatever reason you want to listen to them instead, audiobooks is where it's at and Audible is where the audiobooks are. And so the deal is that you get a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end. And whether you stay or not, you support the podcast by clicking through the link. So consider clicking through the link. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. It's also in the show notes. Please consider that. Audible is a really great platform. I love it because, you know, I like to do road trips and drive and stuff. And sometimes you kind of get tired of listening to podcasts and it's nice to just be able to listen to an entire book for like 12 hours at a time or something. Spread it out over four days of road trip or something crazy. It's pretty great. So consider that. They have a great selection. A lot of the books are read by the authors. It's a really nice platform. And if you, you know, join, if you haven't joined yet through that link, you will support the podcast. So I want to thank Audible for being with us for a long time, helping us out as a sponsor. And I also want to thank you, Matt, for being on the show yet again. Thank you, Miriam. It's always good to be on. And uh, sorry to have teased you with this uh, Z Fold 2. No. I will return this to Samsung so that you can have a shot at it pretty soon. Oh, great. I'll let them know. (laughs) Talk to Matt. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show again, Matt. And folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week. So until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.